Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us and we thank you that you have shown that love to us in so many ways and one of the profound ways that you have shown that is by condescending to speak to us your words. We do not deserve to hear your voice but you in your word have your voice contained there and we can read it and by your Holy Spirit you can help us to understand it and believe it. We pray that you may do that this morning. Equip me this morning so that you speak through me. May my words not be my words at all but be your words and may you speak clearly to those gathered here this morning to hear from your word and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well I don't know about you but I'm one of these people who likes to read the instructions for things that I get that I need to make. I know some people rather than reading instructions they prefer to just give it a go themselves and so they try and work out how everything fits together and usually that's when they make uh, mistakes, there's problems and so they end up ruining whatever they're trying to construct. If it be a piece of furniture or a piece of equipment, uh, they end up breaking it, whereas if they'd read the instructions, they would have been successful. I like to read the instructions, that way I think it pays off. And so even when I got an iPhone recently, it doesn't actually come with an instruction manual. So what did I do? I got on the internet and downloaded the instruction manual that you can get as a PDF and so I went and read through it. And so my wife, who had an iPhone many months before I did, uh, I was able to show her things when I just newly got the iPhone because I'd read the instruction manual, things she didn't know her iPhone could do. But I did because I'd read the instruction manual. Reading instructions pays off. And Jesus here is giving us instructions. This is our instruction manual that we have here and Jesus here has given us instructions. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at Jesus' instructions. We've read that passage from Matthew 28 from verses 1 through to verse 20 but I want to concentrate on the last part, verses 16 through to verse 20. And so if you've got a Bible there, I encourage you to open it because we'll be looking at it this morning. Page 989 of the Black Church Bible page 989 and we're looking at little number 16 on the page, just that last paragraph, verse 16 through to verse 20. We're looking at Jesus' instructions, his instructions. The first main point this morning that I want to make is does Jesus have the right to instruct us? Does Jesus have the right to instruct us? Because I don't know about you but I don't like being instructed by someone who doesn't have the right to tell me what to do. You want someone who's telling you what to do to have the authority to tell you what you should be doing with your, uh, with your time if you're at work. You don't like a colleague at work telling you what to do. You only take orders from the boss. You want someone who has the authority to do so. And it's the same with instruction manuals. You don't read an instruction manual for a Blu-ray DVD player when you've got a DVD player or a VCR if you're poor like me, you still watch some videos. You, you don't use a Blu-ray instruction manual for a VCR because it clashes. It doesn't have the right, it doesn't have the authority to tell you how to use a VCR. And so I want to, firstly this morning, if we're going to look at Jesus' instructions, we want to know that he has the right to tell us what to do, that he has the right to instruct us. So why does Jesus have the right to tell us what to do? Well, there's a few reason given, reasons given to us in this text. The first sort of big one, of course, is that Jesus is God. 
Jesus can tell us what to do because he is God. If Jesus is God, then he really has the right to tell us what to do because he is the one who made us. Just like the manufacturer of a Blu-ray DVD player made it and so they have the right to tell you how to use it, if Jesus is God, he has the right to tell you how you should use the body that you have, how you should use it, and he has, if he is God, then he really knows how you work and the best possible way for you to use your body. How do we know Jesus is God? Does the text say, Jesus is God? No. It does say that in other places in the New Testament, but not here. There's a few clues, though. There's a few clues. Um, the first one is in verse 17. Little number 17, we've got these disciples coming, seeing Jesus, and what do they do? Verse 17 reads, When they saw him, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't go around worshipping people every day. The only person that I worship is, of course, God. He is divine, and so he deserves to be worshipped. And so the fact that these disciples worship Jesus here shows that they understand who he is. He is God himself and he deserves worship. Other times in the Bible, people fall down at the feet of angels and angels go, oh yes, thanks for the worship. No, they go, get up, get up, get up. God alone is to be worshipped. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't say, get up, I don't deserve to be worshipped. He lets them worship him showing that he knows he is God and he wants them to understand that he is God. The other thing we know that makes him God is what he says in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who has all authority over the earth and not just the earth but heaven itself? Well, only God is at the top of everything. And here Jesus says he has all authority. So he is quite clearly God. And then there's one other clue that tells us that Jesus is God. And that's verse 19. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is there associated with the Father and with the Holy Spirit who are God as well. Now how can three be one, one God, three persons? Well, it's a bit of a mystery, but it is clearly there in the Bible as to how God can be one but three. And it makes sense there would be some things in the Bible that we can't understand. If this is God's word and he is infinite and all wise, and I know I am finite and not all wise, then there are going to be some things revealed that don't make sense. And this is one of them. And it's shown there that he's one and three, in the way that it's presented. It says, baptising them in the name. Not names, name, singular. That's not a mistake. That's there in the Greek. Name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three, but one name. Jesus is God. He's there with the Father and he's there with the Holy Spirit. And so that means he has the right to tell us what to do. He's God. He has the right to instruct us. He has the right to give us the instruction manual for our lives. And the other thing that makes him have the right to instruct us is the fact that he's just come back to life. Uh, we didn't read all of it, but this is at the end of Matthew's Gospel where it talks about Jesus' life and then his death and then his resurrection is what we read today. 
Now, everyone, I think, wants to come back to life after death. We don't want to stay dead. We want to come back to life. And so it makes sense that you would listen to someone who has been able to do it. The resurrection is a historical fact. And here, Jesus shows that he has come back to life. And so it makes sense that you would listen to him. If you want to come back to life, you would listen to what he says. He's been able to do it. It's like if you're having trouble with your DVD player, you get someone over to help you, or with your computer. DVD players are pretty okay to use, except my mum seems to still struggle. Um, But computers, people generally will need some point, some help from someone who knows more about computers. And so you get someone over who has done what you are wanting to do. And Jesus has done what we all want to do. We want to come back to life. Jesus has done it. And so we should listen to what he says so we can find out how we can come back to life as well. So that's my first main point this morning, was to look at why does Jesus have the right to instruct us? And lastly, I want to then go on and look at the instructions that he then gives us. What does he instruct us to do? Well, we've got three instructions in this text. And the first is there in verse 19. He says in verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Instruction number one, go and make disciples. Jesus is saying if you're a disciple of mine, if you're, one of, uh, if you're a Christian, you're going to go and make disciples. Where are we supposed to go? Well, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. This is not a message for just a few people, a select group, a select nationality, adults only, Jews only. It is for everyone, all nations. We are to go to everyone. Christians are to go to everyone and make disciples. So that means when you become a Christian, you want to tell your friends, your family. You may even want to go as a missionary overseas and tell people about Jesus Christ and make them disciples. What does it mean to make a disciple? Well, the way you make a disciple is you teach them firstly and then they start to follow you. They start to believe that what you're saying is right and true and they do what you say. And we see this all the time. It's not a biblical word as such, uh, uh, one of those uh, words that is only contained in Christianity. We talk about disciples in other contexts and in the school playground there's a huge number of disciples running around. The cool kid is the one that's got all the disciples. The cool kid is the one that has taught the other kids that I am cool and I know what is right and then the disciples come, they listen and then they follow that cool kid and so they are disciples of the cool kid in school. We have disciples all around us and Jesus wants people to become his disciples and he wants his Christians to make disciples And that means that we have to tell people about Jesus, who he is, explain what he has done, that he came into the world, that he died and that he came back to life. We teach people about that. We go, we teach them, but a disciple also must follow, must believe. So many people stop at the stage of getting taught about Jesus but then don't actually follow through. They don't believe, they don't repent of their sins themselves. They just listen and then go away. But Jesus wants Christians to make disciples. He wants us to teach about him and see people come to repentance and faith in him. 
That's the first instruction. Go and make disciples. The second instruction is given to us in verse 19 as well. First instruction is there, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Second is baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Instruction number two is baptise those disciples that you have made. Baptise them. Jesus wants a public profession of the faith of the new disciple. Secret Christians are not known in Christianity. Jesus is encouraging here a public profession. When you become a disciple, you let people know. And the main way that you let people know is by being baptised, by submitting yourself to the waters of baptism. And that means, of course, then, that baptism doesn't actually save you. I want to be clear here because a lot of people get confused. They think by being baptised, that's how they're going to get into heaven. That's how they're going to be saved. But the disciple has already been made. The disciple has already repented and believed and that's all that is required. The baptising comes afterwards as a sign that you have become a Christian. It doesn't actually save you. What else does baptism do? It's a public profession to people that you've become a Christian. The other thing is it's a really good symbolism of what has actually taken place inside the person that is being baptised. What has taken place in them? Well, they've been washed of their sins. They're no longer counted as a sinner before God, but as someone who is righteous, who is holy, who is pleasing in God's eyes, and so therefore can go into heaven. There's no evil people in heaven. There are only good people there. And the way that person is good is because they've been washed of the sins that they have done. And so going into water and coming up again is like kind of having a bath and you're being cleansed. And so it's an outward sign of an inward reality, what has happened inside, that the person has been washed of their sins. And the other symbol that is there is, of course, the way that we do it as Baptists and the way that we think it says in the Bible is we do full immersion. You may have seen other baptisms where they sprinkle water on the head of someone. We We don't see that in Scripture. We see people going down into water and coming up out of the water. And so there is a great symbolism that is there in the full immersion because what has happened inside the person is that they have been, they have been crucified with Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, everyone who believes in him is hanging there with him. Their sins are being punished there on the cross. And then when Jesus is buried, they're buried with him. And when Jesus comes back to life, they come back to life with him. And so a Christian actually has eternal life already in this world and then just carries on into the next world. And so by going into water, the way we do it, I'll do a good plug for Baptists here, um, you, you go under the water, which is a hostile place to live in, unless you've got snorkeling gear on. And so it's like you're dying and it's like you're being buried with Christ. And then you come back up out of the the grave, so to speak, and you have eternal life. So it's a good symbolism of the washing and it's a good symbolism of the death, burial and resurrection that you have with Jesus Christ. Is that it? Is that all that is required of Christians? They believe, they hear about Jesus, they believe, they become a disciple and then they're baptised? 
No, there are further instructions as to what Christians should do with these new disciples. What's instruction number three, the last instruction? It's there in verse 20. We're baptised in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and then verse 20, little number 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. Not because that will save them from hell. They're already a disciple. They're already saved by believing. They obey because they are so grateful for what God has done and they have started to hate sin. They don't want to sin any longer. If you repent of your sins, if you say you're sorry, then you hate sin and you don't want to sin any longer. And so you want to find out what Jesus has commanded you should do with your life because you want to please him now instead of rebel against him. And so it doesn't save you, but it's a way of showing your gratitude and that your repentance is true. We all know children who say, I'm sorry, and then really aren't sorry at all. They go back to doing what they were doing. That's not the kind of repentance, the kind of sorry that Jesus wants. He wants the repentance that says, if I could go back, I wouldn't do it. And I don't ever want to do that sin again. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to do the, do the right thing, do what he commands, because it shows we are truly sorry for what we have done. What are some of Jesus' commands? He says do, uh, to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, he gives quite a few commands, uh, but uh, they basically can be put into two camps. One is actual sins, doing evil things, and you uh, abstain from those and you do good things instead. So you don't do evil and you do good instead. So evil things are anger, selfishness, pride, sexual immorality, drunkenness, theft, lying, cheating. A lot of us know what it means to be sinful. We, we see those sins in us day after day. We've all sinned, we've all lied, we've all cheated, we've all committed so many sins. Jesus commands us, don't do those things anymore. And the other thing is we're meant to do good things instead. We're meant to be loving. We're meant to be kind. We're meant to be patient. We're meant to be faithful with those around us and gentle with them. Honest towards people around us. Tell the truth instead of lie. And be self-controlled. We do things like that instead of doing the wrong thing. Now that sounds hard to do what Jesus commanded. And he says, everything I've commanded you, do that. It sounds very difficult. If any of you have tried to do the right thing, you find how difficult it is. At the beginning of the year, we all start making New Year's resolutions as to be a better person this year and do the right thing in this situation. We're now halfway through February. How are you going with your New Year's resolutions? Are you the better person compared to last year or are you the same person that you were last year? You haven't been able to turn over a new leaf. It's very difficult to do the right thing. But thankfully, Jesus gives a promise to his disciples here, to the new disciples and to the old disciples. What did he say? Last sentence of verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, He is with you to the very end of the age. And that's wonderful to know because remember what we said about Jesus before, that he has the right to instruct us. Why? Because he's God. He's got all power. He's got all strength. If you've got him on your side, 
How can you not do all things? And so it seems hard that we're meant to do all that he commanded, but we have him with us and he tells us that he will help us. He will give us strength and power to do those things. But he only tells us he will help people do right. He will only help the disciples. He doesn't help everyone to do what is right. He only helps the disciples, those who have become his followers, who have wanted and desired to do what he wants them to do. He only helps those. So are you one of those? Do you have Jesus with you till the very end of the age? Have you become a disciple by hearing about him and then repenting and believing? Or have you stopped at the hearing part? Have you been baptised to show that you are a Christian? Have you started doing what he commands? Then you have that promise that he is with you. But if you haven't, let me encourage you to do that this morning. You can do it right now. I've talked to you about Jesus and who he is and what he has done. And so you can become one of his disciples right now. You can believe in him and then start to follow what he says. Be baptised and start to do what he says. And then you know you have him with you till the very end of the age. Well, maybe you are a Christian. You have done those things. How are you going at fulfilling Jesus' instructions here? Are you going into all the world, into all nations, to all those that are in your sphere around you and are making disciples of them? He says here, go and make disciples. Are you telling people about Jesus Christ? Are you trying to get them to more than just hear about Jesus Christ but to actually repent and believe and follow him? Are you encouraging your disciples to be baptised those people that you have made disciples, that they should profess their faith? And are you encouraging people to follow everything that Jesus has said, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded? Are you doing that? Or are you saying it's too hard? You can't make disciples. You can't go. Remember Jesus' promise there. He says, I am with you to the very end of the age. There is nothing too hard for you to do because you have Jesus with you and he's told you to do it. He will give you the strength to do it if he wants you to do it. And he does. Who are you making disciples of? Are you going to all those around you? Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is God and we thank you that he came back to life And so we know we can have eternal life as well if we follow his instructions. And we thank you that he gave us instructions. He could have come back to life and not told us anything about how we can do it as well. But he did. Lord, help us to go and make disciples of all nations and see them baptised and see them listen to the teaching of Jesus and obeying everything that he commanded. Lord, we pray if anyone here this morning has not trusted in Jesus Christ that they will fear to displease the living God, Jesus Christ. They will listen to what he has said. They will explore whether he really did come back to life. Lord, awaken their hearts by your Holy Spirit to become your disciples and then to be baptised and then 
to see them come and be taught by you and to want to do everything that you have commanded. Lord, do not let anyone here this morning, please, we beg of you, do not let them pass into hell because they have refused this offer of Jesus Christ to become disciples by repenting and believing in Jesus' death. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.